this weekend. As we start off our time together, you might look around, you realize that we've got some families in the room, we've got some kids in the room joining us for worship today. In Psalm 8, it says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then it says something incredible. It says, the Lord has established strongholds against his enemies and will silence the foe and the avenger through the praise of children and infants. So we get to experience that today. God has chosen to work through the praise of children and infants, and we get to participate in that today. So let's stand as a church family. Let's tell the story of the redeemed. Let's preach the gospel as we sing together.
that he has done. Let's turn our eyes towards our God who is mighty and able to save this morning.
applause this morning. joy it is to be in the house of the Lord with many families as a church family getting to glorify him. Would you turn to the people you're around, greet them this morning, and ask him if they have any plans for a July 4th barbecue. Well, let's turn and greet those around us. that sound. Love seeing everybody talk with each other. As you find your seat, I just want to let you know if you are new here, we would love to get to know you today. If this is your first time here or you've, you've been here for a couple weeks just kind of sneaking in and out, I just want to let you know that we're not, we're not trying to just fill seats here on a Sunday morning for the sake of filling up this space. We want to know who you are. We want to know the people in the seats. So if you are new here, you haven't really talked to anybody, there's a desk that you passed on the way in, in the middle of the lobby. Please go there. We would love to put your face to your name, to know you, to figure out how we can get to know you better, plug you in better, and how we can know the people that we are worshiping alongside to just invite you in to be a part of the family. When we gather together, especially on a family worship Sunday, but every single Sunday, when we gather together, we worship in several different ways. And what that means is we do things that say and communicate, God, you are at the center of my life. So when you woke up this morning and you decided to be here, you said, God, you are at the center of my life, and I'm going to make time for that. I'm going to be present here. And when we just sang, we said, God, you are at the center of my life, and I'm going to show that with my voice. I'm going to show that with, with what I sing and what I say. We also worship through our giving. And that is just another way, the same as voice and time, that we say, God, you are the center of my life, and I'm going to show that in what I've been given and what I give back. And then in a similar way, soon we'll hear the preaching. We'll say, God, you are the center of my life, and I'm giving you my attention. In all these ways, we express the same thing, and we worship him. And in just a second, we're going to take communion together. We're going to remember why we worship. And we're going to spend this next song preparing our hearts for that. We're going to spend this next song in remembrance. The book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And we remember today, like every Sunday, that Jesus' blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. That's the only way. So church, let's stand, let's set our eyes on that truth. It is a joy to proclaim that nothing but the blood of Jesus can rescue us. Let's praise our God.
nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You may have a seat. wanted to take some time before we actually partook of communion together to just make sure that we all understand what it means. We know we have a lot of children here in the room that may not understand fully what even the term sacrament means. And, you know, this is one of the, the two primary sacraments of the church when we talk about baptism and we talk about communion. Sacrament is mer merely talking about something sacred. It's a practice of something sacred that we can then remember what it points to. And in this case, the sacrament, the sacred practice of communion is to help us remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that grace that was provided in us. Because in the case of his work, it is a grace. He did this. It's not something that we earned or achieved. It's something that he provided uh, as a free gift to us. Now, communion is coming together. It's a unity around a common theme, the grace of the sacrificial lamb that was provided for us. And so in this practice, we first begin with the bread. And the bread is about his body. Jesus says, uh, after he breaks the bread and he passes it out to his disciples on that night, uh, that he was going to be arrested and ultimately betrayed and then crucified on the cross, he began with the bread and he broke it and he passed it out to them and said, this is my body, which is for you. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, we know from a previous sermon by Jesus that he said that he was the bread of life. In other words, that he provides the energy, the sustenance to be able to live a life that is glorifying to God, that is a life that God had designed and ordained that we otherwise could not do on our own. He provides that model for life. You know, so many different patterns of life we've learned from our parents or other generations or society is often a life that's not full to the point that God points to. He gives a life that is to the fullest end. And so when he says, this is my body, which is for you, referring to the bread, he's referring to this like, remember how I live. Because how I live is the life that God intended for us to live. So when we take of this bread, it's to remember the life of Jesus, to remember what life truly looks like. And that life that was given for the sake of us. Then Jesus took of the cup. And he said, this cup which was filled with a wine. He says, this is now representing my blood. So he was going to go to the cross. He was going to die on that cross. And that blood was going to be spilt. And that blood becomes the sin covering. You just heard Alex say that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The problem is prior to Jesus, the shedding of blood was a perfect lamb, but it was just an animal. And it was all temporary. It can only provide coverage or payment for sin just shortly. But then when you bring in the perfect lamb of God, Jesus, being the son of God, he was the perfect lamb that when his blood is spilt, 
It's a permanent payment. It's not temporal. It can always cover and will cover past, present, future. And that blood, that blood was shed on the cross. So when we partake of this communion table, we are to remember then, not only did he live a life that we can model to discover true life, but then it points to the ultimate sacrifice as him being the perfect lamb of God, that his death covers over our sins. So by faith, we receive that. And then Jesus gives the opportunity for us to practice that. So on the night he was betrayed, the night he was arrested, and the night before he is crucified, he tells them, practice this, practice this grace so that you will not forget what binds us all together in unity is his sacrifice upon the cross. So as we partake in this together, we're remembering his life and we're remembering that it's his blood that covers over our sins. This is a gift to the church to practice this grace. And so as believers, we do so together. If you do not have the cup with you, uh, our ushers are able to provide that now. Just put your hand up and they'll provide it. But I'm going to provide an opportunity of prayer uh, for you to go before, between you and God to just have a moment to reflect and be mindful of his body and his blood before we take together. So I will be silent now and give you that opportunity. So before we partake, I'm going to read the Matthew account of this moment. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's take and eat together. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's take and drink of this together. Jesus, it is by your name that we can even have hope for eternity with the Father. It is by your work 
that we can go into the presence of the Father without fear of destruction. And it's by your grace and your work in us that we can have a faith to trust that this work is sufficient. So Lord, I just pray that if there be anybody here in our midst that do not understand and know that grace, that this day would be the day that they understand and they come to faith. And for those of us who have experienced that faith, we say thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way you lived. Thank you for taking our death penalty so that we might live. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we rejoice in what's been accomplished for us?
Yes, Jesus, we rejoice in what your blood has accomplished. Lord, we, we take no joy in knowing that it was our sin, it was our rebellion. It was because we made ourselves your enemy. We were in opposition to you, and, and because of that, if we were ever to come back into fellowship with you, the cost would be great. And Lord, we rejoice that you are willing to go that distance on our behalf. Lord, for what you accomplished for us, for what your blood, for what your shed blood shows us about who you are, the depth of your grace, your kindness. Lord, I pray that that, the gratitude for what you've done, for who you are would, would just flow through us and, and, and flow outward in our lives. In this moment, Lord, we just ask that you would enter in and, and, and do a work by us in your, by your spirit as we receive from the word this morning. Lord, as you have received us back into fellowship, we ask that you would now do the work of, of conforming us in your image. Lord, do that by your, by your spirit through the word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you have a seat? Blessings, LEFC family, visitors. My name is Lem James, not James the Just. Different one. Um, I get the privilege of teaching out of God's word uh, for us here today. We're in the book of James, and we're in James chapter five. Um, if you do not have a Bible, we have ushers that will be coming down the aisles that can provide you uh, with a Bible. Um, if you're using this blue NIV Bible, um, it will be on page 827, and if it's the yellow one, it'll be on page 1219. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please uh, take the Bible and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, 
and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. It's fitting for us, so let us, the rain, see that? <laughs> it's fitting for us to pray. Uh, let us begin this time uh, in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what it is, the word of God. God, do not allow the enemy to snatch the word that will be implanted today and do not allow the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches to choke it out. God, would you allow your word to bear 160, 30-fold fruit? God, I pray for myself. Would you help me to say and preach that which is good and true, that which is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness? God, and I pray for every single person here today. Would you, God, encourage each and every one of us to come to you, that we may live lives of prayer. I ask this, God, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'm gonna start my time by addressing the children. Children, raise your hands. Hi, raise them high so I can see you. Hi, kids. I want you kids to understand something. You can put your hands down now. You don't have to keep it up the whole time. You can. I want you kids to know something. God hears your prayers. Did you know that God heard Ishmael when he was crying in the desert? Kids, say, God heard Ishmael. You're gonna have to be a little louder for me, kids. Thank you. Did you know that God listened to Samuel waiting for his response? Say, God heard Samuel. And did you know that God heard the prayer of Solomon when he was just a youth for wisdom? Kids, say, God heard Solomon. Even the Lord Jesus as a child, when he went away from his parents and he went to the temple and they found him there and he said, don't you know I had to be in my father's house and about my father's business? God heard the child, the Lord Jesus. Children, God hears you. Say, God hears me. God hears me. Believe that, kids. You teens who are in the room, think about the prophet Daniel and his boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got taken captive, castrated. They were experiencing trouble and hardship. But we see their great character and integrity. How do we see that? Their reliance on God and in their prayer life. Adults, you young adults, adults with young children, regular adults, <laughs> adults that have adults. <laughs> it's funny how prayer changes throughout the seasons of our life. At one time, you're praying, oh, God, can I just get into the college? Or, God, could you just have her notice me? Or, God, I really want this job or this house. God, help me in my marriage. God, 
Would you help me with the taxes? <laughs> help me with the taxes. Help me with the taxes. <laughs> we pray for all sorts of things, right? Seemingly random prayers, but they're not. God hears. And my favorite group of LESC, our retired age, our elders of this church. Some of you have prayed more time in prayer than some of the children have been alive in this room. And I commend you for that. Growing that relationship with the Lord, with our heavenly Father. And perhaps you're older in this room and that hasn't been your testimony. It's okay, let me encourage you. God called Abraham at 75 years old. He called Moses at 80, hey, pick up and go, go to Egypt. God might do that for some of y'all. He might say, pick up and go, do as I say. It doesn't matter who you are here today. Just know God's inviting you to relationship with him. I want this message to encourage that. I want people to leave here knowing you can go to God. Satan, our enemy, spiritual evil, desires to have us feel condemned about not praying. And then instead of going to God in prayer, what we do is we think about how much we don't pray and spend time doing that instead of just praying. And I don't think James's heart is to condemn us at all. I think here in chapter five, in these verses, we're gonna see it's encouragement, it's exhortation with hopefulness. So let's look at the text. Verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. James is encouraging the church here. Hey, you're in trouble? You're experiencing hardship? Respond by praying. Are you happy? You're cheerful? Lift up your voice in praise. The appropriate answer for both is go to God. When we're experiencing hardship, it's really easy to complain in our suffering, slander people because we're going through hardship, or even curse God like Job's wife. No, we're to respond with prayer. And when we're cheerful, probably because things are going well for us, we don't delight in ourselves, we don't boast in the temporal, and we also don't keep our mouths shut. What do we do? We sing praises to whom the one these perfect gifts come. We must open our mouths, saints, acknowledging the one where our blessings come. Some of you might sing a hymn. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And some of you might sing songs like this. Pour out your thankfulness. Let it overflow, let. And that sounds great, but as for me and my house, it sounds more like, Jesus, Jesus, you're the reason that I'm breathing, hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, I know you with me and you never leaving, hey, Jesus, Jesus, I know the devil defeated, hey, hey. <laughs> my sons know it. <laughs> However it comes out of you, make sure you're singing praises to the one from whom all 
praises come, the one who's worthy of our praises, the good appropriate answer to whether you're in trouble or, whether, or, or you're happy is to go to God. You're going through it, Christian, life beating you up, go to God. It's all sunshine and roses, guess what? Go to God. Why do we do that? When we're in trouble, he's the only one that can help us. And when things are going good and we're happy, it's unto him that all these things are even possible. So Christian, from the outset, we go to God with everything, right? That's our default reaction. Now I know some of you, like me, just so you have a little bit of a context, I got expelled from high school. I was not the greatest child, and I know you children are not that, right? Good kids here. In my times of trouble, I used to pray prayers of desperation. Oh God, would you please just get me out of this? God, I pray. If you get me out of this, I swear I'll never do it again. Anybody here prayed that prayer before? <laughs> and some of you have desperation prayers because you're like, I have no idea how I'm supposed to pay this bill. This thing's coming up, this situation's happening. God, I need you to provide right now. And some of you have some very, very serious desperation prayers going on right now, and I acknowledge that, maybe even for the life of a loved one or your own self. Trouble will come into our lives, Christian. The right response for us is take it to God in prayer. Some of you in this room are sick. I know it because it's on the prayer and praises emails that go out. You're physically sick and you're suffering. And the word of God addresses that too. Is anyone among you sick? Let's look at the passage, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. With the amount of people in this room, I'm very confident that there's been plenty of you that have heard a lot of bad heretical teaching in regards to this topic and even these verses. Some of you may have heard something like this. All you have to do is sow a seed of faith by giving us X amount of dollars and come, receive your healing. That's heresy. On the other side, some of you may have heard something like this. Ah, well, God doesn't do that miraculous stuff anymore because now we have science. There's no need for that spiritual stuff. God doesn't need to move supernaturally. No, 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 no. We have knowledge now and medical advancement. That also, heresy. I'm gonna stop all bad thinking here today. You don't need to give your televangelist money for healing, but let's not be mistaken. Faith is indeed required. And also, I'm not saying don't take your pain medication, but is that the first thing you run to? This world has twisted so many things up. One side glorifies the miracle or the vessel by which the miracle comes, but minimizes the God from who made the healing happen in the first place. 
and another completely removes God out of the equation and trust in the created rather than the creator. Both horrible misunderstandings of God's ways and his character and both are man-centered. I'm gonna say a few things that are gonna be hard, a little abrasive. If you know me, I'm not abrasive at all or confrontational. I will, be, I will be kind and nice afterward. God is not your personal genie. You can't rub the bottle the right way and get your any wish. No, God's not your sugar daddy, the one you run to when you want something. You can't replace God with medical advancement and technology. It's God who ultimately gives the healing for his own glory. And praise God, he's good. He does heal. And why does he heal? He wants functioning children that they might do as he's designed them to do and for our personal good. God heals for a witness that leads to him getting his due glory as both the sovereign Lord over sickness and death and as a kind father. Our God is a loving father, amen? And he has good intentions towards his children. And praise God, he's, giving us, he's given us the means of healing through faith. Let's see what James says here in instruction when someone is sick. He says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. We see here first that the elders are called on. Why the elders? I think it's because they are specifically positioned to care for God's sheep, to feed his sheep, to know his sheep. The elders are assigned to the flock. They tend to the flock. They care for the flock. They protect the flock. And basically, the elders can be called on because they're present. We have elders in our midst. The elders are the ones that we can expect to be exercising faith. Remember what we just read that James said, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. James makes it clear that healing is, uh, faith is required in healing. And it's no shock what this Hebrews 11.6 say, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The elders are identified ones amongst us that are people of faith. We expect the elders to be the people that we could come to with our sin. We trust that they're going to lovingly, gently, with wisdom, guide us to repentance and belief in the gospel. What did James say in this regard? James said that if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And he said that if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, we might be healed. Christian, let me be very clear here. You cannot hold on to your sin and expect God's miraculous healing. I'll say it again. You cannot hold on to your sin and expect God's miraculous healing. Praise God that the elders amongst us are here to teach us to obey the Lord's commands, which include what? Repentance and belief in the gospel for the forgiveness of our sins. We expect the elders amongst us 
to meet the qualifications laid out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. This is what James said. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God takes pleasure in showing his power through his obedient and holy servants. The elders amongst us have been identified as those who are living obedient, righteous lives unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We call the present faithful, loving, truth-telling, righteous elders to pray for us, pray with us. And sometimes we are completely unable and they'll pray over us. What else does James say? He said that the elders are to pray over them and anoint them with oil. James here is in step with the Lord Jesus. Jesus in Mark chapter six, verses 12 and 13, he sends, he sends out the 12 by twos and this is what it says in Mark six. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. You see, James is in keeping with that practice of anointing with oil. For some of you, this practice might seem weird or even spooky. For some, it might just seem like a nice gesture or tradition. And yes, that is true. It is a kind gesture. That's how the, old, the people in, the, in Jesus' day would have seen it, and they would have seen it as something good to be carried on. But I also think it's a kind grace for us to be practiced. As water is a familiar element in the sacrament of baptism, and the bread and wine are familiar foods in the sacrament of communion. So we have a familiar oil, which in the Bible would have been olive oil, as a spiritual grace for anointing and healing. But just like you could be dunked in the water and not know the one who walked on water, and just like you could take the bread in the cup and not know the one who said, this is my body and this is my blood, you can also get anointed with oil and not know the anointed one. Christian, essential oils can't do anything for you if the one that created them doesn't move. Yeah. Let's go on. James says, in the name of the Lord, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Again, James is in step with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus commands, pray in his name. And James rightly repeats it to his audience. So why is it that we pray in Jesus' name? Firstly, God is glorified in it. God is glorified in us praying in the name of his son for healing. The one praying can't take credit for the miracle. If I'm up here and I pray for someone and they get healed and I pray in the name of Jesus, you're not looking to them. You're looking to the one in whose name I prayed. God gets the glory. 
Secondly, why do we pray in Jesus' name? He can actually do it. There's actual power in his name. Philippians 2 says this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Acts 4 says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Perhaps you're listening to me today and you're like, I'm good, Lem. I don't got cancer, AIDS, my hip's not failing. But each and every one of us either had or still has a sickness that only Christ could tend to. Luke 5, 31 and 32 says this. Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Everybody in this room has suffered sin sickness. Guess what? Pills and chemotherapy can't help that sickness. Drugs can't help that sickness. Eating healthy will not help that sickness. Money can't help that sickness. Sex can't help that sickness. Your social media, your job, your educational degrees, your fame, capitalism, communism, your red politician, your blue politician. There's not an angel nor human that can help this sickness. No one except the Lord Jesus Christ can solve your sin sickness. It's Jesus that was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Everyone needs the healing that the cross of Jesus Christ provides. But the question is, do you recognize that you need a physician? When speaking about this topic, the question of the origin of sickness comes into play. Am I sick because there's something I did wrong? Is it a sin that I've committed? And sometimes the answer to that is yes. If you smoke, you or a loved one can get lung cancer. If you're gluttonous, you can get heart problems. If you're an alcoholic, your liver can get jacked up and you could pass the tendency on to your kids. If you commit adultery or are fornicating, you can get STDs. But sometimes we're just sick because we're in a fallen world with fallen bodies. Jesus was asked this question, if it was, a man, if it was the man's sin or his parents of why he was born blind. And this is how Jesus responded in John chapter nine. He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So no, the blindness was not a result of a direct sin, but God had a plan to get glory from that ailment. So now you might ask me, so Lem, what you saying? Everybody should be healed from all sicknesses? No. Remember what Paul said. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said this, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is wild, Christian. In this case with Paul, an apostle, he said his flesh was afflicted by demonic agent ultimately so that he wouldn't sin and that Christ could be made and shown powerful. Mind-blowing stuff. Mind-blowing. Praise God. So, we see that sickness does come as a result of direct sin. Sickness can even come from demonic agent. And sickness comes because we're in a fallen world with fallen bodies. And we could trace all sickness back to the garden. The origin of all sickness finds its place in the sin with Adam and Eve. Some of us in this room will die because of physical ailment. Even the prophet Elisha, look what 2 Kings 13, 14 says. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he was to die. Some of us will die because of a physical ailment. Everyone's not gonna get healed. But to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, they will be raised up again and enjoy the leaves of the tree of life that is for the healing of the nations. The way that you and I will be made well and ensure that when your physical body gets raised in the resurrection that you're gonna spend eternity with God is to repent from your sins and believe the good news that Jesus Christ took the penalty that you deserve. What good is physical healing? if the body's only to be cast into hell. I could stay up here 120 years old, six-pack abs, no blemishes. What's the point if it's to eternal damnation? Hear me. I don't want to confuse anybody. If you've directly committed sins that's led to sickness, God can heal you. Maybe it was your parents and it's hereditary. God can heal you. Maybe there's no doctor that can tell you what's going on. God can heal that. Maybe it's even from demonic attack. God's big, he's sovereign, he can heal you. But listener, I urge you, first find the healing from sin sickness. Jesus is that great physician. He can heal you and he will have you. Go to him. Confess your sins and believe in the good news and what he's done on the cross. Let us continue. James 5, 17. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. 
You see here the original audience of James. They would have read what he's saying here and then point it to Elijah and they would have been connecting the dots. They would have said, oh, I see what you're doing there, James. All the stuff that we just read about starting in verse 13 and now him seemingly randomly pointing to Elijah is not random at all. If you know the story of Elisha, you see a lot of Elijah, you see a lot of parallels. James said, is anyone among you in trouble? Oh, there was surely a lot of trouble for Elijah. If you know one of the stories when he was on the run from King Ahab and evil Jezebel, he runs to a place called Zarephath, which was in Sidon. Guess where Jezebel was from? Sidon. He's in enemy territory on the run. There's a drought in the land that he called. And now he's staying with a widow, depending on God's miraculous work through the means of this widow to keep him and her household alive. On top of all that trouble, the widow's son dies. And the woman says, it's because of my sin. Elijah's in a jam. Christian, are you in trouble? Consider Elijah. So what does Elijah do? He does what any of us in our right mind would do. He desperately prays to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He raises the boy up. And the end result of this is from this Gentile woman's mouth, this is what she says. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Why is this amazing? Elijah's just like us. And you're just like Elijah. Elijah would have been seen as a superhero to them. That was their guy. Kids, y'all know Superman? Raise your hand. That's like the Superman for them. James is like, no, he's like you. He's like you. Like you and you. He's like us and we're like him. He feared. He ran from Jezebel. He was seemingly prideful. I'm the only one. I'm the only one, God, that's, that's following you still. He had despair. Christian, he's like us. Be encouraged with that. God heard his prayers. So much so that it didn't rain for three and a half years. It doesn't rain for three weeks and we're fretting. Lancaster County with our sprinkler systems. Raise your hand, tell the truth. Who had a sprinkler out? <laughs> Wasting water. <laughs> Just kidding. I had a sprinkler out. <laughs> Elijah's like us. It's very interesting. When Jesus looks at this account of Elijah, look what he says. Luke chapter 4, verse 25 through 27. We're going to see that it goes beyond even God's people. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 4, 25 to 27. He said this, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe, severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy 
in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. For those of you that don't currently have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you see here God's kindness to a people that was not his people, that did not know him, that did not worship him. He has that same offer to you today. Why did they experience his healing and resurrecting power? They were obedient to him and they trusted him. For every single person in this room today, I wanna leave you all with this exhortation. Go to God. He hears you. He will have you. and He desires relationship with you. Go to God. Bear yourself before him in desperation. Trusting him with whatever the outcome is. The same heart the Lord Jesus had. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And lastly, when he does answer your prayers, sing back to him the praises he deserves. Church, James told us we have not because we ask not. So I implore you, go to God in prayer. Church, let's take this opportunity to, to run to our Heavenly Father. Knowing that his arms are open wide, we can approach him in prayer with boldness and with confidence. Let's stand together. Let's rest in that truth. Yes. 
rest in our wonderful Savior. exhortation. can be something that can be a challenge to many of us. Sometimes it's because you don't know how to talk to a God you cannot see. Sometimes it's because you hear what prayers you hear tend to be prayers that seem to be beyond your capacity. And what I want to just communicate most simply in this moment is that if you have the ability to speak to another human being, you have the ability to communicate with God. Yes. It's that simple. God designed you for the ability to have a relationship with him. And he has done the work to make that bridge possible. Yes. You merely need to go to him. And he even promises that sometimes when we don't even know how to pray, 
he'll even help us there. And so as part of this text day, it talks about even praying together, that there's beauty in that and that there's strength that can come from that. And so at LEFC, we have different opportunities where we can pray together in one accord. Every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. in room A5, which is just in that hallway to my left, uh, there is a gathering of prayer. And we're praying for the church. We're praying for our services. uh, We're praying for our missionaries, our staff. uh, And we're praying that God would work among us as a congregation. Additionally, we also have this card that is in your uh, bulletins this morning. When you write something down to be prayed for, uh, this is collected and gathered, and then as a pastoral staff and as a paid staff, we gather together every morning at 8.45, and we pray over the things that you have given us. And that happens throughout the week. You can also email office at lefc.net and and ask for something to be put on the prayer and praise email list. You see, you can sign up to be on an email list that accounts for people from the congregation saying, can you please have the church pray for this? And then that's sent via email to all those who have signed up for the prayer and praise email list. So we pray for those things as well. And then we have ABFs and life groups where we, get to, we gather together. That's where we find community. And, and yes, prayer happens with and for each other in those contexts. But in today's text, there are some things that just rise that much more intense. They become more difficult. And we're charged with go to the elders and have them pray, anointing you with oil. We do that too. And you can make that request at any point. You can email at elders at lefc.net and ask for an anointing in prayer. And we will schedule it with you and gather some elders to pray with you. But in light of today's sermon, we wanted to provide that opportunity after the service. And so we have a team of people that includes elders and women that are going to be back in the encounter room to my left, your right. They'll be glad to pray with you. And if you would like to be anointed with oil, they will do so. At this time, I want to say to our elders in the room, uh, we had so much of a response. We didn't have enough of our elders there and enough of our team people. So if you're on our prayer team and you're one of our elders, I would ask that you would assist uh, in the encounter room afterwards because we want to make sure that we're able to provide for all who come. And so that will be available to you at the end of this uh, benediction. So you've heard from the book of James, and you've heard it preached by Captain Lemuel James. Thank you, brother. And what we want to do now is let Lamb, lead us in the Lord's Prayer. When the Lord was asked, how should we pray? He gave us this prayer. Lamb, lead us. Uh, If you would join me in um, saying this prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace, church.